Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. And we welcome you into the Fairways of Life show, folks. Hope you guys are having a great, what day is today? Wednesday. Yesterday, I was up in Washington, D.C. as the, you know, the National Golf Day. And as part of that, the numbers were released on where golf stands. And these are numbers based upon 2022. To give you a picture of where golf is, and it's changing dramatically. I'm going to show that to you in just a second. But it's not often we get to open the show and dive right into news items, but there's a couple that are compelling here. The first one is that Jordan Spieth has withdrawn from this week's AT&T Byron Nelson, citing a wrist injury. He announced it on Monday evening, and he did it via Instagram. Spieth felt severe pain in his left wrist over the weekend, he said, and doctors confirmed an injury that, quoting, requires rest and limited movement, end quote. Spieth hails from the Dallas area. He's made 11 career starts at the ATT Byron Ellis, including a runner-up last year at TPC Craig Ranch. He missed a cut at last week's Wells Fargo Championship with rounds of 72-77. Prior to the Wells Fargo, Spieth had noted, notched four top five finishes in a six-event period, including a tie for fourth at the Masters. Quoting, the AT&T Byron Nelson means the absolute world to me, and I'm disappointed to miss it this week. Playing in front of friends and family in Dallas is one of the highlights of my year, and the tournament staff and volunteers are second to none. I look forward to being back next year and many years after. Close quote. Spieth debuted at the AT&T Byron Nelson in 2010 when the tournament was contested at TPC Four Seasons Resort. At the time, he was just 16 years old, and he finished in a tie for 16. Spieth said he will evaluate his recovery on a week-to-week basis. He did not specifically mention his status for next week's PGA Championship at Oak Hill. The PGA Championship remains the only major championship that he has yet to win. Uh, to that, he says, quote, I'm focused on healing as quickly as possible and will have to evaluate my recovery from week to week. Sincere thanks to the medical professionals who have supported me over the weekend. Close quote from Jordan Spieth. Uh, other news items. Uh, you guys have probably seen the news about Tiger Woods and he broke up with his girlfriend. She's suing him. The story, I have to admit, is kind of bizarre. Now, there's an article here by the Associated Press, which I'm going to read you in a second. I'm not sure if they're going to have some of the details in it that I'm about to to mention. That I, I, I don't know. It just, it just, it seemed. I, I don't want to, you know, dance on on somebody's uh, sadness here on either side. But how this whole thing went down. I mean, if it felt a little bit like like one of the one of the old shows, you know, like the Sopranos or something. They took her for a ride. Come on, we're going for a ride. So apparently, she claims that she was told they were going away for the weekend, pack a bag. And another article I read again, they could be wrong. Another article I read said the tiger drove it to the airport, got to the airport, and she got out, and, and she was like, what am I supposed to do? And he, I, I don't know. The article made it sound like he was, dri- he, was, he was driving away. He, like, said, talk to my lawyer. So I guess the lawyer told her, look, it's over. You know, hey, it's over. You know, it's over. What do you want us to do? It's over. It didn't work out. We'll pack you things. We'll send them to you. She claims that they kept $40,000. I don't know how she got it. Whatever. I mean, it's it's just I, have you, I don't know if you've been reading some of this stuff. So this is the article from the Associated Press. And this is and now she had a chance to kind of go before a judge. Or lawyers did. I say her. I mean, obviously, I mean, her lawyers. And what, Dom, you saw this? How, how did you how did you see any of, of what the judge had to say? Was it on uh, like court, court TV? Court. Yeah, it's like court.tv or something. There's this streaming video, especially these days, like the Johnny Depp trial. Like any any company anywhere has a chance to make money or get clicks, they're going to do it. So these key, some of these courts are just putting up like webcams, and then they just film lawyers barking at each other, and then they put it online, and they say some crazy headline, and they try and get clicks. So I did um, I did see it online. 
Uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I watched, you know, two, three minutes of it and just got a kick out of the fact that I could even watch this. It's kind of silly that I'm watching it. And that, but I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. But yes, it's available, it's public. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just, it's not, it's really not drama. You got the two lawyers, they're just lawyers speak. And uh, you'll, you'll read in the Associated Press article, the, the, the judge, honestly, from what I saw, was kind of confused. The judge was like, you're, you're like, your client signed an NDA. Like, I'm looking at an NDA, yeah, signed by everybody saying, we can't be here. <laughs> like, why are we here? <laughs> so it's, 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 like I said, it was silly. It's silly. So, yeah. Validate a non-disclosure agreement that would require the ongoing legal disputes between the two to be decided privately by an arbitrator. During a 45-minute hearing, Circuit Judge Elizabeth Metzger repeatedly questioned why the mandatory arbitration clause in the couple's disputed agreement wouldn't invalidate Herman's lawsuit against Woods. She even appeared to agree with Woods' attorney, J.B. Murray, that even the question of whether Herman actually signed the August 2017 document uh, or her signature is forged should, for now, be left to an arbiter. Arbitrator, if you please. Neither Herman nor Woods was present. Herman, 39, is suing both Woods, 47, and the trust that owns his 54 million Florida mansion, seeking 30 million from the latter amid unspecified allegations of sexual harassment. Forbes magazine estimates Woods' net worth at $1.1 billion. Quoting, contract law tells me I look at the document and I ask, is it valid on its face? I've got dates. I've got signatures. I've got terms, the judge said. Given that she asked Herman's attorney, Benjamin Hodes, what choice did she have but to invalidate the lawsuit and require that Herman take the case to arbitration if she wants to pursue it further? At the least, Hodes asked that Metzger conduct a future hearing to determine whether his client signed the document or it was forged. He acknowledged that Herman signed a non-disclosure agreement at some point, but said the one presented by Wood's attorney may not be the true contract. Quoting the, the attorney, we don't know. My client cannot say for certain that is her signature, and she does not recall signing the document. Murray called the dispute over the signature a bit of a red herring. One thing you did not hear Mr. Hodes say is that she did not sign it, Murray said. They are not bold enough. Metzer, I don't know what that last sentence is. Uh, Metzer said she would issue her decision in writing, but did not say when. Herman is suing Woods to get out of the agreement saying she was a victim of his sexual harassment. She has also filed a separate illegal eviction lawsuit against the trust that owns the mansion. Herman, who managed Woods Palm Beach County Restaurant before and during the first years of their romantic relationship, argues that the nondisclosure agreement is unenforceable under a new federal law that says such contracts can be voided when sexual abuse or sexual harassment occurred. She alleges in court documents that Woods threatened to fire her if she didn't sign a nondisclosure agreement. Hodes argues that is a type of harassment, treating one employee different than others because they have a sexual relationship. But the sexual harassment allegation was barely mentioned during Tuesday's hearing. Metzger told Hodes she needed more information on what allegedly happened to consider it. He said he couldn't provide more information publicly in fear that he would be violating the non-disclosure agreement if it was ultimately upheld. Murray has called those accusations utterly meritless. In Herman's lawsuit against Woods, she wants Metzger to either void the non-disclosure agreement or at least give her guidance about what she can say publicly. For example, can she discuss events that happened before their agreement or after their breakup last October? 
What about information she learned about Woods from others? She is also arguing that, that the contract covers only her work relationship with Woods, not their personal matters. In her, in a, I'm just stepping away from the article for a second. All that tells me is someone wants to write a book, for better or for worse. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying if you're, if you're looking for clarity on those specific matters so that you can discuss them publicly, what purpose would you have to publicly discuss them other than to hope to, in this case, profit from it, through, I would say, through a book, maybe, maybe through other legal matters. Uh, go to get back to the article. In her unlawful eviction lawsuit against the trust, she's basing her $30 million claim on how much it would cost to rent a property like Woods' beachfront mansion north of Palm Beach for six years of residence. She was allegedly promised by the golfer, then denied. Before they dated, Woods hired Herman in 2014 to help develop and then operate the golfer's The Woods Sports Bar and Restaurant near Jupiter. But they do not agree when their romantic relationship and cohabitation began. Herman says in her court filing that their romantic relationship began in 2015 and that in late 2016, she moved into Woods' nearly 30,000-square-foot mansion in the ritzy Hobie Sound community. She says that in 2017, Woods verbally promised she could live there at least 11 more years. Woods, in his court documents, says their romantic relationship began in 2017, shortly before she moved in with him in that August, about the time the disputed non-disclosure agreement was signed. In March 2017, Woods had placed the mansion into the Jupiter Island Irrevocable Homestead Trust, an entity he created that only himself and his two children are beneficiaries of. Court documents filed by Woods' attorneys on Monday include an August 2017 email exchange between Herman and Christopher Hubman, the chief financial officer of Tiger Woods Ventures. Herman said, says she will sign the non-disclosure agreement, but expresses concern about her romantic and professional lives are now intertwined. Quoting, my only concern is if by chance TW does something that brings our relationship to an end, do I automatically lose my job? I don't have any problem with what's in the document because I wouldn't go public or use anything I know to hurt him or the kids. But with my whole life in his hands now, I would want to have some kind of control over my future in the business. If something happened five, ten years down the road, I don't want to be in my 40s, heartbroken and jobless. End quote, she wrote. Herman says Woods pressured her to quit the job in 2020 so she could spend more time taking care of him and his children. That article from the Associated Press about Tiger Woods and what is going on there. I mean, is this uh, it, it, Dom, open up, tell me what the people are saying about this. Do, does anybody even care or is this just he said, she said? I'm not getting anything coming in on this at all. That answers my question. That answers my question. But, but but the one thing I will say and I'm not picking sides. I'm just saying it is so difficult for a person of Tiger's prominence to live a regular life. He is so wealthy. He is so famous. He is so iconic. It's a very weird situation for someone like him to have friendships, personal relationships, anything. I mean, I remember on this show, we, we played a press conference clip a couple of years ago when Rory McIlroy was becoming friendly with Tiger Roy had gone to his house, and Roy said, like, hey, let's go get dinner. And Tiger laughed in his face. He's like, I can't go get dinner. <laughs> I mean, just regular, and that's when, I, if I recall, Matt, maybe you remember this, that's when Roy was talking to the press saying, my God, I didn't even think about how Tiger just cannot do anything like a normal, regular person. I mean, Tiger is, he's a different stratosphere, like a stratospheric level of famous. At that level, like Michael Jordan can't just go walk around ever, but he does. And I don't think. Tom, but what, what I'm saying is, you got to understand uh, something. Really, part of this, not really. Part of this is who Tiger is. Tiger, I remember when he was 14 years old. I forget. I think it was with Jaime Diaz. He was doing an interview, and he and he said, "Do they have to know everything?" That's just his nature. His his nature is to be very private and insular. You can look at absolute superstars that didn't live their life hiding. I mean, look, look at uh, Robert De Niro. He walks right down the sidewalk. It's just, he's not, it's, it's not going to, there's other stars that have similar global recognition that just, it's, I, and I'm not saying the Tiger shouldn't feel the way he feels. He feels the way he feels because he feels that way. How about that? 
But what it, it, it's it's to the individual. All I'm saying is that it's not some preordained thing that this is the way it's going to be. If Tiger is worth one point one billion dollars, if he wanted to, he could make his time in public as insular as he wanted. Do you know what I'm saying with the, with how people are able to get at him, where he goes, how it's organized, get your staff to, to plan a, a, a special back room, uh, you know, all those things. It can happen. It can be done. I remember seeing Michael Jordan walking around the Ryder Cup. People, sure, people coming up and ask for pictures and autographs and that, but he did his thing. He had, he had a special pass, ultimately, when he, once, once he'd get to the next hole, he was inside the rope. But it's, again, a lot, a lot of it, when you, when you talk about Tiger, uh, he's not a victim of his, of his fame. He's chosen to manage the fame the way that he is managing it. And, again, I'm not questioning his feelings if he feels like I can't live the way that I would, you know, want to, or I, I can't behave myself in a, in a manner that's normal, that's his choice, right? Okay. So another news item that I thought was interesting: a barstool sports is going to broadcast a corn ferry tour event. And this article, where did this come from? Golf.com. James Colgan wrote this one. And it says the PGA Tour is coming to dot, 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 Barstool, question mark. On Tuesday morning, Barstool Sports four-play podcast announced that it will carry live streaming coverage of the Corn Ferry Tour's NV5 Invitational. That'll be the 27th to 30th of July, the first PGA Tour affiliate event to reach an official partnership with the sports media giant. Per the agreement, Barstool will carry three hours of uninterrupted coverage each tournament day from the Chicago-based event on its streaming platform, which is Barstool.tv. Quoting, this is clearly somewhere that Barstool Sports has been going in the last year, said Sam Riggs Bazoian. Is that how Sam says his last name? A four-play host who will, I always, always know him just as Riggs as everyone else, host who will play and also, or will also serve, I should say, as uh, a broadcaster during the tournament coverage alongside of host Jake Marsh and a stable of to-be-determined guests. We wish we could watch more Corn Ferry Tour and understand the stories better, he said, so we're just doing it. The agreement marks the latest in a stretch of moves that brings Barstool closer to the world of live sports streaming, a potential bell cow for the Barstool business earlier this year the company sponsored and streamed its first ever college football bowl game the arizona bowl adding to a repertoire of live coverage that includes college basketball hockey and the company's own pay-per-view boxing events in the corn ferry tour barstool finds the ideal partner a sports entity that doesn't receive much media exposure and is eager to expand its growth and reach among casual sports fans the two properties stand to benefit greatly from one another, the Corn Ferry Tour in terms of reach and intrigue, Barstool in terms of its streaming legitimacy and variety. It remains to be seen whether NV5 represents a one-off or the first in a series of Barstool-produced streams, though people briefed on the matter said no other tournaments have been discussed for now. Streaming represents a lucrative bet for Barstool with advertisers and sponsors, most of whom are willing to pay more per video impression than for podcast or video. The company has been rumored in talks for streaming agreements with major professional sports leagues over the years, but more recently has focused its energy on the individual event level. The biggest question facing Barstool streaming coverage is whether it is capable of generating large enough audiences to challenge traditional sports broadcasters. The Arizona Bowl drew some 1 billion impressions and 130,000 concurrent viewers. Gaudy numbers by most digital standards, but remain the least watched iteration of the event since at least 2015, the Sports Business Journal reported. Of course, Barstool might not need to generate linear TV-sized audiences to see its foray into streaming prove successful. The Corn Ferry Tour, which is owned by the PGA Tour, represents golf's biggest feeder tour, routinely sending players to the highest ranks of the pro game. While viewer intrigue remains relatively sparse, 
The Corn Ferry Tour receives only a handful of nationally televised broadcast hours per year. Barstool's bet is that by investing at the lower levels, it can spur interest and spark relationships with some of the sport's best up-and-comers. In recent months, the PGA Tour has earned an increasingly chummy relationship with Barstool, which has an agreement to outfit merchandise for some of the tour's biggest events. The company's stable of young male followers remains a coveted demographic to the tour, particularly in the throes of its turf battle with Live Golf. Still, it will be a long time, if ever, before Barstool threatens to bring its streaming coverage to the big tour. The PGA Tour's streaming rights are locked up at 75, I think it's supposed to be 750 million a year, uh, agreement with with ESPN at least through 2030. Oh, no, no, that's streaming rights. So it is 75 million a year agreement with ESPN through at least 2030. I thought what they were talking about there was the all the, the rights that go beyond that. Uh, and those those streaming rights that they're referencing there, of course, are PJ Tour Live and ESPN Plus that referring to. So, again, Dom, I'm going to throw it over to you uh, before I know you got to uh, take care of one of your kids. But w- anything – oh, cool. Anything you're hearing from uh, anyone coming in yet before we move on? Nothing groundbreaking. There's some folks talking to each other. You know, golf is a game of character. Be sure it will find you out. It's an interesting comment based on the barstool side of things. Um, but I wanted to that, give a how little. How is that relative to that article? Correct me on the context there. Uh, all they said is golf is a game of character. And I think that uh, some, I, again, I don't want to speak for this person. This That comment came in from MBT3. But I think that that person is referencing the fact that the barstool brand, if you will, is not. Um, oh, you mean it's going to be like right one of their words. podcasts where the guy be like, well, we really hit that like. Beep. Well, I, I think it's not uh, it's not traditional, I guess, is what I would say. They're 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 very untraditional in how they do things. And I also would argue it's de- I'd be happy to discuss it with you in the audience. I think it's debatable, but. I would argue that their audience is unique and specific. I think it's a certain age group. I think it's skews to a certain gender. And I, I don't think it's wide and and uh, traditional <laughs> in the golf space. So I think that's what they were uh, referencing. But what I was gonna what I was gonna say, just to add some context to this discussion, is if you look at the Corn Ferry Tour television ratings just to give you guys a sense of the number of people we're talking about and the exposure level that we're talking about. These are basically, basically golf channel ratings. Cause again, like you said, they're, they're not, they don't show every single corn Ferry tour event on the golf channel. There's so much golf going on globally on so many tours. And this is one of the things that golf as a, as an entity has been trying to figure out. That's why Barstool has stepped up and is trying to broadcast some of these events, etc. But, Again, for context, this is the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs from last year. Uh, so this is like the you know the August-ish, end of August-ish of 2022. 108,000, 140,000, 150,000. That's the number of people watching these tournaments for the week. It, that, that's not a, it's not a, just not a massive number. And I've had this conversation with Matt on and off the air for years. The audience for, for golf coverage on TV, PGA Tour network coverage, is two to three million people. That is how many people watch golf tournaments every weekend. That number is pretty unchanging. That's what it is. Two to three million people watch golf every weekend. If you're watching the show, you're most certainly one of those people. And that number for a dedicated event or if Jordan Spieth is playing well, for example, will usually go up to four or five million. Roughly. And then for a major championship, that number will a a lot of times hang around six million ish. And then on the rare occasion where you have Tiger winning uh, a major or Rory and Spieth down the stretch on a crazy Sunday, you know, they're in the in the heat of the battle, whatever. That number can sometimes creep up to seven or eight, nine, ten million people. Very rare cases. But realistically, that is the golf audience. And you can see based on the numbers I'm giving you, Matt, that the, how how much smaller the Corn Ferry Tours audience is. It's just it's so it's so niche. It's so like if you're one of the two million people that watches golf every weekend, 
how much do you care about the feeder tours that get you to that level? It's like watching, uh, you know, the NBA's D League, which I think is called the G League now. It's it's like a Gatorade sponsored league. The people that are watching that league is a very small percentage of the people that watch the NBA because it's very hyper specific. So it's not a ridiculously large amount of people here. So I don't know, like you're reading the stuff about streaming and barstool, and I don't know what a number is for them to hit that would be relevant because the the audience is not absolutely enormous, even if it goes well. Now, I think there'll be an, like an interest factor, like, oh, what's this going to be? Like, there's a little bit of like, oh. So the first day or two might just be like with Live on YouTube, the first broadcast of Live on YouTube for the very first event, it spiked quite a bit because there's general like confusion and interest and questions. And they're like, what's this about? And so everyone goes to check it out. And then it dips dramatically because people are like, all right, well, I saw it, whatever. And then they yeah. just go away. I hope, am I I'm rambling a bit, but do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, basically what you're saying is that golf's audience is small. And if golf's audience is small, the Corn Ferry Tour is going to be even smaller than that. And how do you make all the economics of it work if there's just not a big audience there? How do, basically, how do you, how do you get enough sponsors to pay for it all and to make everybody happy because uh, i presume that barstool is paying some type of a rights fee although they might not be just to get started because it's one event i was just i'm looking up jake marsh who they listed in that article as he's he's listed like on linkedin i'm assuming this is his linkedin my name is jake marsh yeah it he's listed as sports business reporter barstool sports Currently play-by-play broadcaster for the University of Vermont men's basketball team. Uh, it says recent graduate, and then it cuts me off. So I was just cu- curious if he was if he was a broadcaster and what he did. And uh, it, the, the reason why I'm bringing that up is if you have it said it said him it said Riggs who I don't know I just know what he what see his work obviously and then other special guests who are yet to be specified. And you said they, that they do things differently. Maybe it's a good thing. The traditional way that, that a bro- golf broadcast is done is you have a host who kind of sets the scene for you, but then you have a former player who plays a role to describe to you what is actually happening, what a player's working on, what, what they're thinking about, shot options that they have, et cetera. Uh, would it be more entertaining if you had a golf broadcast where you had people that it didn't include, say, a professional? I know... Uh, my mind just went blank down. What's the name of the guy that went from Fox over to ESPN to do the football? Joe Buck. Joe Buck went to ESPN. And they did like and like Troy they Aikman. did Yeah, they Joe, he just said it, he just said in my head said Troy Aikman they they, they no, grabbed him on more or less as a I team. Think. Yeah, I'm on here. Um <laughs> if if you you know the alternative broadcast that they started to do with the NFL? Are, are you familiar oh, with that? It's so hard to watch that stuff. Oh, they do it nonstop on those channels. But no, All the big we, events. They're doing it for baseball now. They do it for everything. They do, but the Manning brothers started it, and I believe the Manning brothers produce all the other alternative broadcasts. I think it was their, that, their agreement. That going. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I just uh, watched pretty sure five on, minutes. On ESPN, I watched I think five it, minutes of an NBA one do the same thing. NBA, Stephen A. Smith was doing a, the it, NBA playoff game If it goes to ESPN, my understanding is it's, it's through their production company. That they that they created this concept of Omaha just, Productions or something. I think it's called. It's like two guys sitting around on a couch, and what we'd be doing if we were watching the game. That was the concept, right? And so the reason why I brought that up, and and you remind me, Joe Buck, Joe Buck and Michael Collins did an, an alternative broadcast. I can't remember what it was for. It, I would assume it was, it was something that ESPN would have had the golf rights. No, to, no, I would, think he did that. I think he did that when far. Fa- uh, was that a USGA event? It would have to be something that ESPN has the rights to. So it would probably So maybe it was like been, the early coverage for the Masters or something like that? Probably was the, the first was two the hours of the first round or something like that. It was PGA, probably the PGA, okay. I'm guessing, if you look it up. Okay. Let's see if I right? can find the information. And what I'm, well, the only reason I'm bringing that up to you is... While Michael Collins, who is who is a friend, has experience as as a tour caddy, it's not a tour player. 
and Joe Buck has no experience as a as a professional, though. We, though you're right. Yeah, sorry is, to interrupt. That's what it was. It was last year at the PGA Championship. Okay. Joe Buck's ESPN debut will come May 20th and blah blah when he hosts a Manning Cast style PGA Championship alternative broadcast with Michael Collins. Okay, so what I'm getting at, and with you were all right, that, Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. I was right. Omaha Productions will produce the telecast. You're correct. Uh, so what I was getting at with all that is I di- I didn't see that. Obviously, during a major championship, we're all working like crazy. Uh, but is there an appeal to seeing a broadcast that doesn't have, like an alternative broadcast like that, doesn't have a professional on it? It's two guys talking. I mean, you can't compare that to the, to the Manning Brothers broadcast because they, they're qualified on both sides as a broadcaster and as, as prominent former players, Super Bowl-winning former players. So... And again, Dom, I, I kick it back to you to keep an eye on what messages are coming in because I am curious what people feel about this or think about this. Is that if you if you have a broadcast that's a, that's a whole series of personalities? Now, I'm not saying that that's what Barstool is going to do. They could bring in former players too, and I would suspect that they will. But I don't know. All I know is, is the first two names that were given to us. Uh, one is a golf personality, Riggs, and the other one is listing himself as a play-by-play guy and a, a sports uh, business reporter for for Barstool. Does that change the dynamic, or should the answer that's coming back from people probably be, you know, let's let's see how it plays itself out. Maybe maybe this is a whole new direction. Anything coming in, Dom? Yeah, there's a few things coming in. Uh, I think think golf to barstool could be a huge step for the golf community. It's a positive comment. Um, it brings the YouTube golf community a new perspective on golf. Most kids watch casual slash fun YouTube golf stuff. But now they can watch the pros, which is true. I do think that the younger crowds, call it 30 and under, are consuming like Rick Shields, good, good golf. Like these people like are filming themselves playing a round of golf and having fun with friends or whatever. Um, They're not doing interviews. They're not doing discussion. They're just, you know, it's just like drone video of people playing golf. But they're consuming that in droves, the very younger generation. So maybe that What's generation... interesting about that is that doesn't say anything about professional golf at all. They're not they're wa- not watching it. They're just being entertained by golf being played, which is which is a really interesting observation. Yeah, but uh, to to that person's point who just commented, maybe that's maybe Barstool can be that conduit to bring that group to pay attention to the professional golf. Yeah, maybe it'll that, be a bridge. That could, all right. That could be a result of of what's what's potentially going to transpire. So, I mean, it, I, 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 again, like you and I talk about all the time about the buffet of golf. On the whole, there's no negative here. We're just getting more content to consume, more ability to watch more professional golf, um, more spotlights on more stories and more players. And, like, if you like golf like we like golf, what's the negative in being able to watch more golf? In, well, in whatever avenue it is. The Corn Ferry Tour, at times it's been argued that it's the second best golf tour in the world, which I think takes away too much from the DP World Tour. So then the argument goes, is it the third best golf tour in the world? Then you have to, now with Live, you have to have the discussion of where they fall in. Uh, Live, by comparison, ends up getting hit by the fact that the ones that are exceptionally good on Live are a smaller number. Uh, but does that smaller number trump them? So, in other words, would they be second? Would they be third? Would they be fourth behind because of depth? Uh, that That's a debate that I think people can have on an individual basis. But what can't be debated is that the Corn Ferry Tour is one of the great tours in all of the world because of the depth of talent that exists there. And the fact that any of those events as a subsidiary of the PGA Tour event is now not on the air is something that I think is also going to come as a bit of a surprise to people because I think a lot of people will remember watching Corn Ferry Tour events week in and week out uh, on Golf Channel. And a decision was made someplace, somewhere, somehow that these events were not going to be broadcast, at least with regularity, anymore. Uh, I it And I'm even I, working for Golf Channel NBC. I don't know what the decision was there. I can't claim to to know. Uh, so the fact that somebody 
is going to provide coverage of the corn ferry tour to me. All these questions we're asking because they're interesting and they're fodder for conversation and reaction from people. But the bottom line is put it on there. I mean, when you get right down to it, I do it all the time. And I'm curious what percentage of you guys do the same thing. I would I would venture to guess that the majority of the sports that I watch, I don't listen to the sound. And the re- for me, the reason why is I've told you guys this a million times. In, in my family room, which Dom has seen, I have two TVs. They're not quite side by side. One is above the fireplace, and the other one sits on a big, what do you call it? Chest of drawers. I don't know what it's called. Credenza, Dom? Is that what that piece of furniture is in a? Mantle? That's on a mantle. The other one's on a mantle. Anyway, so we have two. And the reason I do that is because I say it's it's the secret to domestic tranquility. So Donna can watch whatever she wants on the big screen. The other one's not as big. The, 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 I call it big screen because we have, a, we have a, a little place. It's like, so it's a 55-inch screen, which looks massive in that room. The other one's not that big. It's probably 32 inches, I'm guessing, flat screen. So on the big one, she can watch whatever she wants. I always, whenever I tell you guys about this, I'm always like, yeah, Dancing with the Stars. I don't know what it is, whatever she wants. And on the other one, I have my stuff, and I, I subscribe to uh, Major League Baseball so I can, I can see all the different games. Now, for me, it's probably 95% of the time Boston Red Sox or, or, or New York Yankees, right? Uh, but I have those games on without the sound. Uh, and whenever there's golf in the prime time, Again, in, in deference and courtesy for Donna, whatever she's watching, I have it on without the sound. So the, when I when I have a chance to sit down and watch sports, unless it's a major, say, or a really big tournament, I'm watching it without the sound. And as a result, I pretty much get to watch as much as I want, like the hockey playoffs. I saw tons of the hockey playoffs. Again, most of it without sound. So if if we can get streaming Corn Ferry Tour – I don't know where, where I am around the world. I might be in Europe at the time that, that, that that's happening. I think it's the end of July. I'd have to check my schedule. But if I'm around, they're all smart TVs. I'm going to watch it. I may be watching it without the sound, so all these questions I'm asking you guys might not have any bearing at all. Uh, Dom, you just were saying something in my headset as I was talking. What's up? Yeah, no, you were talking about baseball, and we've been talking about uh, ratings and money and all this stuff, and it just made me think about Shohei Otani. The Angels baseball player. I don't know if you saw that his his contract's up, and they were talking about him being. This is not supposed to be for air. I just thought it was interesting. He's likely going to become the the highest paid athlete in the history of human existence. I'm not, do you know who how I'm much? talking about? Do you know the? Yeah, do you know yeah. The but how much are they I'm saying? About? I didn't see what the amount. So they they they. Um, we are really going off the rails. This is just supposed oh, to be for Matt's you, you head. got me curious. I was now. just barking. I was barking in Matt's ear because it's interesting. It is interesting to see how sports have taken off and the money flowing in. Like I was watching some of the NHL playoff games last night. It, it is interesting because the only thing on television now, streaming or regular linear television, the only thing that matters is live sports. Everything else, yeah. literally. Every other piece of content that every single person consumes is on demand. Nobody watches anything live except sports. I mean, look at what were the two biggest linear TV shows, non-live sports, Dancing with the Stars, which I just mentioned, and American Idol. Correct me if I'm wrong. Both of those are streaming now, right? Both of those are on on their platforms. Yes, I believe that's correct. I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Anyway, my point is... Sports has become just this ginormous, interesting machine. And Ohani, for those of you who don't know, very simply, he's both a pitcher and a batter for the Los Angeles Angels. And he is almost MVP level of, at both of those things. He's pitching at like a Cy Young level, and he's batting almost 300. He's like top 30 in RBIs, top 30 in home runs. I mean, he is beyond Babe Ruth level. If you read some baseball analyst stuff, they're talking about him 
if he can maintain even a decent level of play for five years, he'll be considered the greatest baseball player that's Look, ever played. You know, it's anyway. funny. I think we all become numb to the money that, that top-tier professional athletes make, right? But speaking of baseball and what, what the judge did last year, all rise. He was negotiating with the New York Yankees. He suspends. He was like, I, I need it done. I need it done by this date, or I'm not talking about it anymore. I'm playing baseball for the season. I need it done by this date, or this is it. Well, they didn't get it done by the date, so we stopped negotiations. He goes out and has a record year of home runs performance, right? Then comes back and negotiates and gets a massive contract, which I think his was – I could be way off, but I believe it was two hundred sixty million, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was three hundred and sixty million, is what his. I'm saying three hundred sixty million. I mean, I'm off by a hundred million. Yeah. yeah, right. So, the numbers that I heard being thrown around by these were this is a behind a paywall article I read where they, man, we are way off topic, but this is interesting to me. So, um. Baseball executives that were anonymously talking to this author, like he talked to like 15 like executives on Major League Baseball side, and they were giving him real numbers. It looks like Ohani is going to get a $600 million contract. Over what period of time? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. That, that number is all over the map. The, uh, the executives, there were people that had contracts as low as – Three three year deals, upwards of twelve year deals. So it depends who you talk to and and what they're willing to pay and whatever. But six hundred million dollars, Matt. That really? is absolutely. I mean, you were just talking about how Aaron Judge and this big contract and this big deal. It's almost it's right. potentially almost double what Aaron Judge's contract was. I mean, it. And the interesting thing is. We're talking about value and, and bar stool and, and how to place value on things. It is interesting. The, what I read, the, what the executives were saying is there is no benchmark for placing a value on a player of his caliber because there, there is no one like him ever. You, 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 you can place, like, one of the things I read, if, if, I'm not sure if this is the exact quote, but it was like you have a, a, a $30 million a year batter. Like, he's like an all-star level hitter. But you also have a $35 million a year Cy Young pitcher. He's also that. He's both of those players. So placing a value on that is unheard of, and it's like impossible to run a risk analysis on that player because there's nothing to compare it to. Similarly to like what Barstool's doing with Corn Ferry Tour, like we're talking about how do you place value, what's the audience going to be, there's just nothing to compare it to. Zero. So the, it's it's com- it's all unknowns. So so much of what sports and golf is doing now is complete unknowns. We're going to these streaming territories. We're over the top platforms. Yeah, we're on an app Dominic, over here. It's just, just, just there's to, nothing to compare it to. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue down this road of numbers in just a second here because there's some fascinating stuff that came out just yesterday. But the streaming thing's a little bit different. It it may be a mystery because it hasn't been done before but is directly tethered to whether or not people connect and care because ultimately someone has to pay for all of this, right? And when it comes to streaming rights, you can make an estimate over an investment of time and what your return is going to be. But when you're talking to sponsors and you go to them and go, Hey, we're looking for X amount of dollars, whatever it is to sponsor this streaming product. The first question they're going to ask is how many is it reaching? What are the impressions? What it's, what's the viewership? What are we talking about here? That's what it's going to come down to. Now, if it's streaming, there are things that they can do from a streaming perspective that don't cost them as much money. Right? There's a lot of things that you can do to streamline production costs, even for, even for a live golf event, in terms of not, not laying cable on the entire golf course, in terms of how many holes you actually show, in terms of of live view cameras instead of using satellites, et cetera, to pump it back to the truck. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that they could do that, that would lower the cost. So from that standpoint, and again, I'd be perfectly fine with it. From a viewer's perspective, if it's not going to look like it's being done by CBS or NBC, I'm okay with that. Versus not having it done at all, yeah, I'm okay with that. 
So I am, I am curious what the people think about all that. But as I mentioned to you, when it comes to numbers, the world of golf now knows some of its own numbers. And part of this is understanding thyself, you know, how we define ourselves as an industry and what this means. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Now, these numbers I mentioned to you just as we were coming on the air today go to 2022 and in a study from, from 2022. So obviously when you're talking about numbers of significance, they have to trail because they have to establish themselves in order to get them. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. As to the numbers, the PGA Tour Superstore is the number one golf retailer in all of America. Numbers, they have 60 big, huge, beautiful stores that are spread out from coast to coast with whatever you could possibly want inside of them. But I think their strongest number is the fact that they are the number one golf retailer because of their people. You can shop with the pros. I know it's your happy place, and it should be because these are people who are vested in you getting the best of what you need for your game. There are other big box stores that sell golf equipment, we know. But those other big box stores are not staffed by professionals. Think about that for a second. Who do you want to take advice from about the equipment that you're going to spend good money on and hope it's going to improve your game? Someone that actually knows what they're talking about or someone that is going to put that in your cart over here. We'll get fishing gear over there. We can get exercise equipment over there. We'll buy those sneakers you want over there. PGATourSuperstore.com, I think, is a great place to get started. Stay with us. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! (laughs) Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Nothing feels quite like hitting a PXG iron. That's because we use hollow body construction coupled with the thinnest club face in golf and a vibration-absorbing polymer. These technologies make hitting our irons feel soft as warm butter on a hot biscuit and create a bigger sweet spot, which means more forgiveness, better distance, and lower scores. Play PXG and see how sweet, real power, and incredible forgiveness can be. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz, sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. All right, welcome back to the Fairways of Life show, folks. Your day is going well today. Hope your week is going well. It was pretty cool uh, in Washington yesterday. I uh, had, a, had a good time being up there for, for Golf Channel and covering 
um, it's called the National Golf Day. It, what it really is is where a coalition of different golf organizations come together with the intent of going to Washington and making the politicians understand who golf is. The, the stereotypes of golf still exist, even though those stereotypes are being broken down by the reality of what golf is doing and who is playing and who's involved in, et cetera. Uh, if you have people on the periphery and the outside looking in, then they're going to default back to the stereotypes of golf. And so they're there to tell the politicians who we are. The fact that, you know, there's 15,000 and change golf courses in the USA. And about 90% of those, probably a higher percentage than that, in fairness, are small businesses. And most of our mom and pop type shops. I'm not necessarily saying that they're literally couples running golf courses, but they can be. Many of them are family-owned businesses. Uh, many of them are sole proprietorships. At the very least, even if they have multiple golf courses, they're still small businesses. They still represent what is the backbone of the United States economy. And there's, there's legislation, for example, like there's 50-year-old tax code Issues And it's bipartisan uh, bills that are being presented right now to take away the restrictions that golf has. For example, golf's not eligible for uh, federal disaster relief, things like that, where I guess back in the day, 50 years ago, they looked, you know, because you had so many private clubs, the politicians looked upon that and said, no, they can spend their own money on that. Right. And. Now so many of these these entities, businesses, are small businesses just like anybody else, just like any other small business that gets in, impacted by a tornado or a flood or whatever it is uh, that has to go to the federal government and get a low-interest loan to rebuild uh, for help. And so those are the, those are the type of things that, that they are addressing. So the, the national – economic impact study was released as part of this. Uh, that was part of what, what my job was yesterday in covering this for Golf Today and Golf Central. And so I'm going to read to you this press release because I think it's amazing. And I think for people like yourselves that are watching this Golf Central crowd, it's really important to know this stuff. And so I'm going to read right through this presser. It says 102 billion industry with even bigger reach. Golf is an incredibly popular recreational activity. Roughly one in seven people participated in 2022 with an economic footprint comprising multiple subsidiaries, golf courses, retail, construction, tourism, real estate, and charity. The game of golf drove $101.7 billion in direct economic activity through the U.S., in 2022, an increase of 20% over its $84.1 billion impact in 2016. But there's a significant ripple effect, too. Golf stimulates a deeper layer of economic activity in other complementary industries, a lifestyle that spurs millions to travel, make purchases, and build or buy homes. The industry's indirect and induced effects, which are another $124.9 billion, are even bigger than its direct contributions, meaning golf's complete economic portrait in the U.S. is much greater, totaling $226.1 billion and enabling over 1.64 million jobs, including more than 1 million employees directly tied to the industry. Charitable impact climbs to $6.4 billion. Golf has proven to be a tremendous vehicle for fundraising, both through outings and events at local golf courses as well as nationally recognized professional tournaments and events. In 2022, the total amount of money that golf raised for various charitable causes was almost $4.6 billion, a 16% increase compared to 2016, which then was $3.9 billion. The majority of the giving, over 90% of it, was driven by events at local courses with four out of five facilities holding at least one charitable golf tournament outing in 2022. Golf is evolving and growing. While the economic impact of the U.S. golf industry has grown by 63% over the past two decades from $62 billion in the year 2000 
The game itself is changing and growing as well. Alternative forms of golf, like Top Golf, have made the game more fun and accessible to a larger and more diverse audience, helping to push the game's overall participant base to 41.1 million. That's up from 32 million in 2016. While the on-course golfer population has never been more diverse in terms of both gender and race and ethnicity. There's a remarkable youth movement, too. In 2022, almost half, that is 48% of all golf participants on and off course, were between the ages of 6 and 34, outsizing their share of the U.S. 6 or older population, which is 41%. These youngest cohorts also have the most positive views of golf. The majority, 60%, agree that golf is cool, or at least has the potential to become Cool. The industry has never been as vibrant or youthful as it is today. It's good for people. Golf delivers value in ways beyond jobs, revenue, taxes, and multiplier effects. Golf is a lifestyle, a community asset, and a positive contributor to physical, mental, and social wellness. Recent research highlights the game's critical role in helping people to escape their everyday stressors, especially the 35 to 49-year-olds who are much more likely than any other age group to say they play golf to recover from stress and recharge their mental battery. Golf courses have become especially valuable in the pandemic era, which operators nationwide seem to recognize. Surveys reveal that virtually every golf facility, 98%, organized at least one recreational program or initiative in 2022 to expand golf's local reach and impact, in turn, elevating the quality of life within their communities good for the planet. Golf provides valuable green space as trees and turf grass at courses can improve air quality by producing oxygen and trapping pollutants, thus preventing them from reaching groundwater supplies. U.S. golf courses, which also serve as sanctuaries, providing essential habitat for a wide variety of plants and animals, continue to exhibit dramatic reductions, savings, and technological advances when it comes to environmental sustainability. Perhaps most notable is the industry's management of its most precious resource, water, with usage at golf courses dropping 29% since 2005. While a small portion of these savings is attributable to a reduction in facility supply, the bigger impact is from the industry's ongoing sustainability efforts, applying and using water more efficiently, and the implementation of best management practices that include water management guidelines, more drought-tolerant turf grass, and an 11.5% reduction in total irrigated acres at existing facilities. Okay, so that was the full presser from the 2022 National Economic Impact Study and the key points that are noted there. So for the game of golf, obviously it's looking good. It's very, very strong in terms of of the, the impact that it has on the economy. If there are concerns about the game of golf and fairness, they're the concerns that exist for the whole rest of the economy as well. With the ever-escalating uh, interest rates, with, with uh, inflation being at record highs, et cetera, uh, there, there is more and more uh, experts saying that we're on the road to uh, some bumpy economic times ahead. I haven't heard specifics as to when they think it will commence. I've heard next year. No, uh, quoted a number of different times. That's about as specific as I've heard. Uh, but if and when that happens, golf is going to be impacted like everybody else. There are some signs right now that concern me from a business perspective, and namely that's in buildup of inventory. In other words, last year's models before the new year's models can, can really push through. And if you force the new models to be pushed through, you still have this inventory that you have to clear out that was last year's. Uh, things like that, those are early signs that I've seen in, in uh, other economic downturns in terms of the the early points of concern for golf. Um, if that happens, hopefully the the industry, particularly now the greengrass side of the industry or even even the off course, will adjust quickly enough that people are still going out and people are still having a place to play when the rest of the economy is getting bumpy. But to do so, there's going to have to be an adjustment in cost. Uh, of the same. So we'll, we'll keep our eye on that. But the numbers that were reported for 2022 were extremely encouraging. Uh, the fact that, you know, that, that one point about the game getting younger and 48% are between 6 and 34, uh, that's a very encouraging number. The majority of that number, of course, is coming from activities that are off the green grass side because of that balance, because you've got 26 million 
on course, and then you go up to 41 million because of the off course. And so that of that of that other what's that 15 million, 60 million of that other side, uh, you're going to have it's going to it's going to skew much younger. And that brings down the overall average uh, for golf. So that's that is very good uh, on on the other side of that, because I know this there's the insatiable elixir of younger, 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 younger uh, from a, again, from a business perspective to, to provide some balance to this, the people who are paying for the premium full margin product, whether we're talking about tee times, whether we're talking about room bookings, whether we're talking about equipment, it's still the 80-20 rule. The top 20% are buying the 80% of, the, of that product in that category. The rest of the marketplace clears all the other stuff out as it gets discounted, et cetera, which is great. That's a, that's a good, healthy business model. Uh, but from the perspective of Who's buying that top tier stuff? It's still that top tier. It's still that 20%. And that 20% is the traditional golf demographic. And that's, that's something. The reason why I bring that up is that there's, there's so much talk about golf because everyone's looking towards the future, the future, the future, the future, the future, which is smart. It's good for business to do so. And it's typical that businesses do that when businesses are booming. When everything is booming, you don't need to work on your current marketplace. It's going pretty well. So you look at what's tomorrow. What's five years? What's 10 years? What's 20 years down the road? If we, if we hit some economic speed bumps, and according to some experts, it could be far more than just speed bumps, uh, then it's important to know who your core demographic is too and make sure that they are being served, which right now there's so much focus being put on all these other areas. Uh, it makes me, makes me wonder at times. Uh, but we'll see. So anyway, it's it's uh, the numbers are very good, and I, I thought that was strong. Uh, Dom, just checking in with you again before we say goodbye on this uh, Wednesday to see if there's anything pressing that you're hearing from the people. Well, in in um, in line with what you're talking about in terms of the growth of the game, the question of the day that I asked was, have you ever been to a Top Golf or a Drive Shack? And to those numbers, fifty six percent have been to a Top Golf or Drive Shack. Yeah, and that's interesting because our audience is probably the twenty percent that you're talking about—the people that are members of clubs, people are playing golf. These people are playing golf a lot, and even those people are checking them out, going to check out a Top Golf, going to go to play at a Drive Shack, bring their spouse, bring a friend that's never played. It is an excellent way to introduce golf in oh, yeah. a fun, loose, informal environment where. You can shank it. You can skull it. Everybody's doing that on all the on all the mats. Nobody knows what they're doing. Everyone's learning. It's a fun environment. You can have a couple drinks. So that's interesting. And then another interesting thing is, if for another day, another time, um, I was just, uh, when you just threw it to me there, I was, I was sort of um, perusing through the comments to see what they had to say about the economy, what they had to say about our thoughts about Tiger, and essentially... Uh, the conversation right now has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. They're arguing about Jack versus Tiger right now and have been for quite some time. <laughs> who's better? Who's the greatest and why? And I mean, we could do, we could do days of shows on that. That's a completely separate argument. Um, right. But I, I think that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> the eternal argument in the, in the game yeah. of golf. As to that's right. Which is better. And, and in fairness, there are some really good arguments on both sides of that debate. Oh, for sure. It's really Absolutely. easy to, to be convinced one side or the other, and it's almost on a day-by-day basis because it's, it's very compelling either way. All right, folks, thank you so much for your company. Uh, we're, we're getting pumped up for the programming that we have in store. Don't forget about our national show as well and the National Fairways of Life show. You can find it on our network affiliates from coast to coast. It airs over the, the weekend, the national TV broadcast, and that's – that's doing super well, and we're, and we're really appreciative and thankful uh, if you catch those programs wherever you live. Uh, thank you for being a part of that because it, it is, uh, it's huge for us. It's, it's changing how we do business. Uh, it, for us, literally day by day, it's changing how we do it. And, and please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just find Fairways of Life on YouTube, and you can subscribe right there. All right, until we are together again, thanks for your company. Goodbye for now. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. 
I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Nothing feels quite like hitting a PXG iron. That's because we use hollow body construction coupled with the thinnest club face in golf and a vibration-absorbing polymer. These technologies make hitting our irons feel soft as warm butter on a hot biscuit and create a bigger sweet spot, which means more forgiveness, better distance, and lower scores. Play PXG and see how sweet, real power, and incredible forgiveness can be. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart. The decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. <laughs> 